Good morning. Hope and I are really blessed to be back with you again. We had hoped to be back sooner than this, but COVID sort of put an end to some of those plans. We're so delighted that, that we can be with you. Uh, you have been partners with us in our ministry in Kenya for, well, since, what, 1996? That's about 26 years, more than a quarter of a century. God bless you. You are really special in our hearts. And uh, so we just want to say thank you uh, for uh, loving us and caring for us, supporting us, and being a part of the ministry the Lord has given to us. Uh, my uh, daily devotions uh, is uh, now I'm going through the, the book of uh, Job. And Job is an interesting book. It, it addresses the question of why do people suffer? It raises the question, but it never answers it. Have you noticed that? And we were talking about this at the breakfast table this morning with Ken and Mary. And uh, then we heard about um, a, a suffering that your community is going through right now, the, the tragic, sudden, and unexpected loss of a dearly beloved community member, uh, Ricky Merle, if I'm remembering his, his name correctly. And there's a, 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 a memorial service, a celebration of life service this afternoon. And for, oh, more than a decade, I've been practicing um, palliative care at Kijabi Hospital in Kenya. And suffering is a constant of daily life in that discipline. And uh, a, a number of our, our patients are Christians who have, have uh, they're, they're church members, they've been actively engaged, and now they wonder, why is God letting me go through this? Why is God allowing me to suffer? And, and sometimes all you can say is, you know, we don't always have the answers. Job never got the answer from God of why God was allowing him to suffer. God just pointed out that this is a very complex world. And sometimes all you can do is just trust me. That's really God's answer at the end of the book. The world is too complex for you to understand it. Just trust me. And that's what we say to our patients is uh, God, what we know about God is that he is sovereign and he is good and he is present with us. He is faithful even in the midst of our suffering. There are times like this that the tragic loss of life of someone, a, pr a prominent person in the community, it raises questions that just don't have answers. And sometimes the, an the only answer is only God knows. Jesus' disciples asked him one of those, those types of questions too. After Jesus said, you know, the time is coming, you look at this temple, all these walls, are the, the, uh, the, the stones are going to be torn down one from the other. And they said, well, Jesus, when is this going to happen? And his answer was, only the Father knows, not the angels in heaven, not even the Son. There are questions that just don't have answers. Well, this morning, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about some very important and deep questions that do have answers. So 
I hope this will be an encouragement to you, but we are in the midst of a war, and that's a war on truth. Uh, and um, so I'd, I'd like to begin with a, an illustration, uh, if we could just go to the... So um, you can almost see that there. That looks like a little sprout coming off the, uh, the, the trunk of a tree. This is in the uh, Kenya's Kakamega Rainforest. There's a, a Christian conference center uh, in the middle of the Kakamega Rainforest in Kenya uh, that I, I uh, had the privilege of, of being there with Hope for a weekend. And, and we were given a guided tour by a naturalist and he showed us what he called a strangler fig tree. I said, strangler fig tree? I've never heard of that. Well, what happens is, uh, just like uh, uh, Ken's, what they call leather holly bush, at the, these, these uh, blue clusters of berries the birds eat, and then later they, they'll drop the seeds somewhere else, and, and you'll have a new uh, bush growing. Uh, that's what happens with these strangler fig trees. Uh, birds and monkeys and other animals will eat the figs, uh, and then... Uh, in their excrement, they, they will drop the, the seeds which will stick on the, um, the trunk of whatever tree they happen to be in at the time. And that seed will germinate, like in this picture, and it will start putting roots down the trunk of that tree as the, 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 the shoot starts growing up. And so you, what you end up, after several years, you've got these roots of the strangler fig that is strangling the trunk of the host tree. And as time progresses, uh, you will see the, the fig growing out of the top of what looks to be and is pretty much a dead tree. It has strangled that tree. And at the end of this process, it totally consumes that, the, the host tree and all you have left is the strangler fig. And by this time, the roots are called air roots because when the seed germinates, they don't go into the soil. They just travel like vines. They travel along the trunk of that tree. And by the time that the host tree is totally consumed, those roots uh, of the strangler fig are strong enough that it, uh, it continues to stand. And then the cycle repeats itself. Well, you can get some really interesting lessons from the process of the strangler fig tree. Uh, and uh, in this uh, um, message this morning, I would like uh, to suggest that, um, that the world attempts to strangle the people that God created and that God loves. Now, when I talk about the world, really, um, the, this, this uh, message is really looking at uh, the, the deceptions of Western culture because that's where we live. There are other deceptions in African culture, the African traditional religions, uh, and so this same message might look very much different if I were to, to share this uh, back in Kenya. Uh, but um, the, the strangler fig tree um, represents the, the, the world and its false narrative uh, that um, is based on a godless universe that developed by chance 
over eons of time with no moral structure and no ultimate purpose. It just is as it is, if we could have the next slide. Um, and so um, the, the host tree, uh, can we have the next slide? Yeah, the host tree, I would suggest, is the human soul. And every soul yearns, yearns for the answer to three questions. The first is, who am I? This is the question of identity. How do we identify ourselves? <clears throat> and we see in the news all around us this whole question of identity. Um, can a boy be a girl? Can a girl be a boy? How do we really know who we are? The question of identity. The next question is, what value do I have? Now, this is a value, this is a question about self-worth. And the third question is, why am I here? This is the, the uh, question of purpose. And you're all, I'm sure, very familiar with Rick Warren's uh, book, The Purpose Driven Life, which, unfortunately, I've never actually read, but I've heard a lot of people talk about it. <laughs> Um, so this seed that the, that the world tries to sow into our souls is deception. It's planted by the deceiver, uh, by Satan, our adversary. And it begins in Western culture with denial of God, the exaltation of man, uh, and the meaninglessness, meaninglessness, and um, amoral structure of life and of the universe. So deception is the opposite of truth, isn't it? So this is actually a war that the world wages against truth. In fact, we even now have uh, arguments over whether the truth even exists. Your truth, my truth, their truth, um, I'm sorry, if it's, if it's my truth, but it's not your truth, then it isn't really truth. That's, that's my own personal opinion. Truth is always true, no matter who's looking at it. We may not have the whole perspective, but truth is truth. And the world is now trying to deny that truth even exists. So deception is the opposite of truth, and the world around us is an all-out war against the very idea of truth. Of course, if there is no God, then there is no absolute truth. Everything is relative to how I see it. Um, right and wrong is based on how we define it and can in fact change over time as cultures change and as values change. And, and we've even seen this, for instance, in our understanding of the Constitution. And we have a constitutional court that is supposed to uh, be the final voice in terms of our, our legal structure and what the Constitution says. And now we've discovered that depending on the justices you have sitting on the court, the Constitution, which the words on the page are exactly the same, but the Constitution with one court may say one thing and several years later with another court may say something different. It's all how it's interpreted. Values change over time. Cultures change over time. And so truth, if, if it doesn't have anything objective or solid, truth 
isn't really truth. It's just opinion. And it can change. So, um, uh, there have been a, a there's a famous uh, article published in an Australian uh, ethics journal by a guy named Peter Sanger uh, that was arguing that if abortion is a moral choice, and he's pro-abortion by the way, if abortion is a moral choice, then infanticide is also a moral choice. Because whether the baby is inside the womb or outside the womb makes no difference in the morality of the choice. And in fact, that particular argument has merit. Whether the baby is in the womb or outside of the womb doesn't really affect the ethics of the choice. I think we would all go the other way. If infanticide is wrong, then abortion is also wrong. Um, I, I don't want to tread on that too deeply because it's actually a very complex topic and that's not what this message is about. But I just want to point out that without a standard of truth, we are lost in a morass of confusion about what is true and what is not true. So, going back to now this war on truth. Uh, the next slide, please. So, these roots grow from the seed of deception in three major trunks. I will call them trunk roots. Uh, and then branch continually downward as the deception, as the, as the strangler fig grows, as the deception grows. Uh, they branch and they have sub-branches and sub-sub-branches. So I want to look at these three questions. Uh, who am I? What value do I have? And why am I here? So the first question is, who am I? This is the lie about our identity. Uh, and that lie is that uh, you have no defined identity. And therefore, you are free to define yourself and by the way, you can define others however you want to, no matter how they disagree with you, because, well, truth is relative anyway, right? So the result of this lie about our identity that the world tries to deceive us with, that we don't have any predefined identity, is gender confusion, the hijacking of science, narcissism, racism, Racial strife, including critical race theory, class oppression, and a host of psychopathologies, mental health problems, and social problems. Uh, all because we just don't know who we are. Um, if life is an accident, then it has no value and it deserves no protection. Seriously, I mean... If it's an accident, is it even worth protecting? So this brings us to a number of absurdities that when, with the question of identity out there like that, um, and the absurdities are such as uh, legally defining mountains as persons, rivers, bodies of waters as persons. You've probably read about this in some places that uh, that natural things have been given personhood status in the legal system. But you can also deny personhoods 
personhood to human beings, such as the pre-born. We can have an absurdity such as a Supreme Court nominee who is unable to define a woman when a kindergartner can. Okay, I hope I'm not treading on anybody's toes here. It's just, if, if, you, if personhood is up to definition, if there is no such thing as a predefined identity, it, everything comes up to question, and it puts us in absurd places. So this next slide, you probably uh, got this in the news, about a California court that actually declared that bees legally could be a fish. How many of you actually saw that in the news? Seriously, no one? Okay, this, is, this was, came out the 31st of May. 31st of May. Um, because there, was, there were legal protections against um, fish and bees were also needing some, some legal protections because they were being threatened. Their habitat was being threatened. And so the court solved that solution by legally declaring that, that bees could be fish. That is legal precedent in the state of California today. Now, you and I would think, well, you know, just pass more legislation that protect bees, right? I mean, wouldn't that be the reasonable thing to do? <laughs> but no, the easy thing to do was just to have a court case declaring bees to be fish, and then they're covered as well. Well, that's what happens when you, when you deny truth as truth and decide that it's whatever you define it to be. Okay, so and another uh, second uh, root lie is the lie about self-worth. And that is that because we're all here by accident, uh, we have no inherent value. Uh, we, it, it, we don't have any value until we make something of ourselves. Now, what we need to do to create value in ourselves, therefore, depends on what is valued by those around us. And so, since those values can change from time to time, we may have to adapt our own sense of value and what gives us value, depending on those that we're rubbing shoulders with. So the result of this lie is poor self-esteem, bullying in schools and online, depression and anxiety because I have this inner feeling that I ha am worthless. I have no worth. And I have to prove to myself that I do have value. Hopelessness and despair, suicidality, alcoholism, substance abuse, uh, the drive to overcompensate, perfectionism, being hypercritical of other people, um, Poor anger control, uh, craving for affection, seeking of approval often in the wrong places. These all come from this attack, uh, this lie that we inherently have no self-value. Um, this question of value is behind things like stigma. Uh, stigma is where we devalue other people 
or sometimes we self-stigmatize based on some kind of characteristic or attribute that says, therefore, this is not a valued person. And we deal with this with HIV and AIDS all the time. And we teach courses on, on HIV and like the biblical basis, uh, uh, biblical uh, issues in HIV and AIDS. We just finished complete, uh, teaching that course remotely. This issue of stigma is the question of value, of worth. Now, we know from God's word we are all created in God's image. Uh, and uh, so we have the mark of God on us. Okay, it's marred, it's broken, but we are all of us created in the image of God. The world tries to put on us its own marks. Uh, what, what makes you an approved person, what makes you an unapproved person, whether it's your educational status, your, your social status, uh, whether you're male or female or black or white or whatever it is that we use to distinguish ourselves from one another. And so there's this conflict between the marks of the world and the imago deo, it's a, a theological term, the image of God that we're all created in. And, and this is a, a war of hegemony. Hegemony simply is, it's a fancy word meaning which has the, the comeuppance, the superiority, which mark will prevail in our understanding of, of who we are and of our value. The mark of God or the marks of the world? Okay, so the third lie is on the, the question of purpose, that there is no ultimate purpose in life. Life is, in fact, meaningless. You live for a while and then you die. Therefore, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we're not going to be here anymore. So this lie says, therefore, we need to create our own meaning in life and find our own purpose in life. Now, I want to make a, a point of distinction here. I'm not talking about divine calling, all right? God calls different ones of us to do different things, uh, and, and, and he gives us those divine callings. But what I'm, I'm talking about here is, is overall general purpose of life. Why are we here? What is our purpose in life? And so, um, with this lie that there's ultimately no purpose in life, uh, this leads to excessive hedonism, where the chief end of life is pleasure, if it feels good, do it. Uh, rampant selfishness, you know, look out for number one, because if you don't, nobody else will. Do unto others before they do unto you. You've all heard these cynical sayings, right? If there's no purpose in life, then you, you define it for yourself. Moral relativism, we get to define our own rules, our, what's right, what's wrong. Consumerism, escalating crime, uh, the pursuit of individual benefit over the welfare of others, the trivialization of sexuality. All of this comes from these lies that the world uh, tries to seep into our souls and strangle us. So, in short, all of the social ills we see today come from these lies. Broken families, uh, high divorce rates, violent crime proliferating, uh, growing epidemics of obesity and addictions, massive profiteering from pornography and human trafficking. And we've seen this since our culture 
has turned its back on God and the truths of his word, and we call this progress. But the more we engage in the denial of God's truth, the darker and more broken the world becomes. So, how do we overcome the strangler? The world's efforts to strangle our souls. Well, uh, here is a novel strategy. The way to overcome deception is to know the truth. Isn't that novel? What do you know? Uh, Jesus, in John 8, verses 31 and 32, uh, said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Set you free from what? From deception. From being stra- your soul being strangled with the lies of the world. Because you know the truth. So let's look at this first uh, question. Who am I? This question of self-identity. Where does our sense of identity come from? In different cultures, they come from different things. In African society, uh, uh, it comes from who I belong to. My clan, my tribe, my church. Uh, I might say, describing myself, my identity, I'm an American, uh, I'm from Hoosier land, from Indiana, Um, I am a Carter, I am a faculty member at Moffat Bible College, and so forth and so on. I'm a Christian, I I belong to, uh, to, to, uh, to the people of God, to the people of Christ. In Western society, we tend to get our, um, our identity from our roles, our skills and abilities, our place in society. So describing myself, I might say I'm a doctor, I'm a missionary, I'm a Bible school lecturer, I'm a father, I'm a husband, uh, I'm a musician, I play violin, by the way. Um, I might describe myself in those terms. In African cult, or excuse me, in, um, in Christ, uh, in in the, the scriptures, uh, we get our sense of identity from God's word. I am who God says I am. Uh, I'm a child of God by adoption. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm beloved by the Father. Uh, I am the eternal possession of God bought by the blood of His Son. That's who I am. Praise God. I wish there was time. There isn't. Um, there's a, a, a book by Neil Anderson called The Body Bondage Breaker, uh, and uh, he has a whole list of, of who I am in Christ, and we use this with permission in one of our, our, our classes at Moffat Bible College. A whole list of scriptures, I am accepted in Christ, and just, just the scriptures that talk about how we are accepted in Christ. A whole other set of scriptures, I am secure in Christ, our security in Him. Uh, and then our significance in Christ, another set of scriptures. So I am accepted in Christ, I'm secure in Christ, I'm significant in Christ. This is a part of my identity, who I am, based on God's word that does not change from day to day, from, from uh, generation to generation, from eon to eon, God's word does not change. I can know who I am because I know God's word. And all this confusion that the world is trying to sow into my soul is like water off a duck's back because I already know who I am. Praise God. Um, Okay, so uh, 
the next question is, what value do I have? This is the question of self-worth. And again, God's Word tells us our incredible value we have. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created him. He created them. We are created in God's image. Is there any value to the image of God? What do you think? We're created in that image. Isaiah 43, verse 4, because uh, God says, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Now we talk about precious stones. They have value, don't they? God declares we have value to Him. We are precious in His eyes, and He loves us. Zephaniah uh, chapter 3, verse 17, I love this verse. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Now this, this uh, phrase, rejoice over you, is tr from the Hebrew, is translated into the English, He will rejoice over you. The Hebrew literally means to dance, to skip, to leap, to spin around in joy. God dances with shouts of joy over us. And the image that this brings out in my mind is of a little child who is so excited. They've got that you know, Santa Claus brought that present they wanted so badly. You know, there, there's something that is so precious to them and it's theirs and they're so excited they can't stand still and they jump and they spin around and, they, and this is a picture of God rejoicing over us. Have you ever stopped to consider how precious you are to God? Not just so precious that He would give His only Son to die in your place and redeem you back to Himself. But so precious that having redeemed you, He is shouting and spinning and whirling around in joy over it. That's you. And the word world tries to tell you, you don't have any value. Meanwhile, God is jumping and spinning around with joy over you. Which are you going to believe? Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We all mess up. We tend to be self-condemning, don't we? Oh, I really screwed up that time. Oh my goodness. I just, I'm just a piece of dirt. No. God even redeems dirt, you know. <laughs> we have... We have a, a, a demonstration we use a, 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 when we teach our students to teach a, a, a life skills curriculum in the local uh, uh, public school system. And there's a, the second lesson is on self-worth. This very topic we're talking about right now. And we want them to understand how valuable they are to God. Because this will help them when they're challenged by their peers and they feel like they have to fit in, if their peers are drinking, they need to drink. If their peers are having sex, they need to have sex in order to have value to be accepted. No. 
God already values you. He already loves you. We use a demonstration. We take a, like a 50 shilling note. Now this is a US dollar. Does it have value? It's just a piece of paper and it's got some ink on it. Does it have any value? You can respond. It's all right. I know this is church, but you can actually speak up. Does this have any value? If I, if I said, does somebody want to come and get this? Would anybody be interested in coming and just taking this? Yeah, at least one in the back. If there were children here, yeah, they would, okay. So then I'd say, okay, now, does this have any value? Anybody want this? Yeah, yeah? Oh, okay. And now, okay, in the mud, dirt, whatever. Now, anybody want it? Yeah. So, um, tell you what, son, come up and get this. Come on up. It has value. Whoops. I'm just about going to throw it at him. It has value. And we can mess up, we can screw up. There you go. That's your... Let that remind you, God jumps over you and it spins around and enjoys you because He just loves you so much. He's so delighted. He spins with joy over you. Let that remind you. Um, even when we sin, we mess up, we make mistakes, we still have value in God's eyes. There's nothing we can do that will diminish our value in the eyes of God because we're created in His image. The third question is, why do I exist? And this is a question about purpose. Purpose of my life. Are you familiar with the Westminster Shorter Catechism? Okay, there's, there's one or two heads nodding. The first question in, in the catechism is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And, and this, is, this is based on a number of scriptures uh, throughout the Bible uh, that, that reveal our purpose, why God created us. Isaiah 43, 7, Everyone who is called my, by my name, whom I created for my glory whom I formed and made. Say glory. glory. Amen. <laughs> we are created for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. We are created to glorify God. Now we do it in different ways depending on the gifts and skills and callings that God has given to us. But as they say in Africa, at the end of the day, have we glorified God? Because that's why we're here. So how do we glorify God? Well, uh, according to Jesus, it begins with loving. His answer to um, the expert in the law, asking what is the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And he said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, so, to love God and to love our neighbor. 
That's what we're called to do. The problem is, we can't. Not the way God wants us to. We cannot love God with a perfect love in our original condition anyway, or our neighbor as ourselves. But he's provided a way. He has provided a way to reconcile us due to himself. So another way to glorify God is in our reconciled relationship with him. Through our faith in Christ's sacrificial death and atonement and, and, and resurrection, through Jesus Christ's sacrifice, our relationship with God is reconciled, our sin is forgiven, and this no longer creates a barrier between God and us. And so then God says, Hallelujah! Well, actually, that's not good theology because that literally means praise God. Praise me! No, he, but he's, he rejoices because we are reconciled with him. Uh, and it is in, he delights in just being present with us. Um, we also glorify God in our worship of him. Psalm 29 verse 2, give unto the Lord the glory, do his name, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. By our worship of him, we bring him glory. And in our obedience to him, we give him glory. King Solomon, if you read the, the, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, he tried living for his own pleasure, yet at the end of his life he concluded that the only worthwhile life is one of honor and obedience to God. It comes from Ecclesiastes uh, verse, uh, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Well, Solomon wasn't the only one that wrote about this. In 1 Samuel 12, 24, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Our obedience, our service to the Lord, it brings glory to him. John the Apostle equated loving God and obeying his commands. If we love God, if we love Christ, we're going to obey what he commanded. And he did this in so many places. Uh, uh, the Gospel of John, uh, uh, verse, uh, chapter 14 Chapter 15, 1 John chapter 2, chapter 5. I mean, just so many scripture references where, where the Apostle John equates loving God and obeying him. Ephesians, even Paul got in on this act. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are created for God's glory. That's our purpose. And the world will tell us, you've got to find your own purpose. You know, the scriptures tell us why we're here. For God's glory. And we do that by loving God, loving our neighbor, worshiping Him, living a life of obedience to Him. So the lies of the world is at war against the truth of God. And it will strangle the soul. But Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 tells us, that the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. So, in closing, when we hear different messages from the world, and it's at variance with what we read in the scriptures, and some of those, some of the messages from the world sounds very logical. Well, what do we, what do I really believe? 
is this really true? Do I, and, and can I really depend on what the Bible says? Well, if you've got a relationship with Jesus, take your questions to Jesus. You know, it's normal to have doubts arise in your heart and in your mind. That's normal. When that happens, take your questions to Jesus because doing so means that you trust Him. And remember the, the lesson from the book of Job. We don't always know why suffering happens, but God calls us to trust Him. Sometimes we're called to defend the truth. We hear someone say something and we know, now that, that's just not right. Sometimes we are called upon to defend the truth. But when that happens, we need to do it with deep affection for the lost. There are a lot of people out there who are lost. They're sincerely confused. They're not the enemy. They're not the enemy. They are ones that need to know the love and the grace of God, and they need to know the truth of God. So we can defend the truth, but holding gently and with love those who are lost. And then remember that while we can assert the truth, it is only the Holy Spirit who can convict of the, of the truth. So if our assertion of the truth is not being received, we're not going to be any more effective if we just yell it even louder. Sometimes we need to just shut up, go home, and pray. Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit, to convict of truth. We need to be willing to proclaim it, even sometimes at great personal cost. And trust the Lord for what comes after but love those who are lost. Know the difference between deception and truth. Be willing to proclaim the truth and stand in the truth. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13 warns us to be on our guard. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. We need to be on our guard because every day we are hearing lies. Ceaseless. Every day, we need to know the truth and stand in that truth. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. That's holding to the truth. Be courageous because sometimes it takes a lot of courage to speak up and just say, I'm sorry. I don't believe that. That's not right. That's not who I am. That doesn't define my value. That doesn't define my purpose. Sometimes that takes courage. And be strong. The Lord your God is with you. So if you want to avoid being strangled by the lies of this world, know who you are, know why you are here, and know that you have eternal value. God bless you. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to share this message with you this morning. Thank you for your witness in the community. And we will be thinking of you and praying for you about 3 o'clock this afternoon as many of you are going to that uh, memorial service. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for that word, Lord, that message. Lord, truth. It has gotten tricky in this world, Lord, and we all know about deception, Lord. As we study the book of James, we know the deception that's out there, Lord. And like Dr. Carter said, Father, the truth is 
at the end of the day, if we all look at the reality of things, is glorifying you. And that's what we want to do today, Lord, as we continue this service and in song. We want to worship you. We just want to thank you and praise you and glorify your name. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.